Welcome to the New Money Habits Podcast, where we talk about how to create a better plan for your money so you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Here are your hosts, Sarah Jones and Nino Villa. Welcome back, Budgeteers. Coach Nino Villa here alongside me, my partner on the airways. It's Sarah Jones. And returning yet again for a third part, we have with us Kelly Kellum. And uh, I cannot wait to get into today's conversation, but there's a lot of updating to do. See, last time I was like asking Sarah what shenanigans she was up to. And she thought (laughs) that that was like a harsh word. But for our viewers on YouTube, she's definitely up to some shenanigans. Sarah, (laughs) what is new and exciting? Oh, goodness. Uh, Shenanigans. I I feel like that's a strong word. Um, Still, uh, you know what? Nino, I... It's just about really being true to me and not worrying about what other people think. And um, for those of you that are not watching, I have dreadlocks now um, and lots of different colors and I love them and they're fun and they, they put a surprise on people's faces, right? And it's not only a conversation starter, but it, um, I hope. Honestly, I hope that it inspires other people to go out and do the things that they've been holding off for a while for, you know, fear of what other people may think. Um, so, yes, I have uh, colored dreads and I love them. Well, they look fantastic. Uh, of course, I'm just being playful with the shenanigans, but we can we can go to the, the to the thesaurus, we can say tomfoolery, bamboozlements, monkey shines. Uh, you are just, you, you, you're just having fun and you're living life over there. And uh, no need to apologize for it, embrace it. And like you said, hopefully it inspires others. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Well, Kelly, I want to welcome you back. And um, I want to remind our listeners that uh, Kelly Kellum is a college admissions and funding strategist who helps families of college-bound students get into the Right Fit College so that they can save an average of $80,000 in tuition costs. Uh, Kelly, welcome back. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back. I appreciate it, Nino and Sarah. Well, we're happy to have you. And I know that um, I'm excited to kind of get into this third part of our three-part series where we, to date, if if for anybody who has missed it, we have been talking about um, we've talked about college and the right fit college. We've talked about saving money on college and how you can do that. And today we want to focus on paying for college specifically with fewer loans. So there are many ways, as we talked about, to save on o- the overall cost. But then when it comes to actually kind of writing the check or paying for it, it's like, where can we find the money to do that? And I know a lot of people turn to federal student loans. And so we want to help you not to have to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So very much looking forward to our conversation today. So Kelly, where do you get started when you are coaching people on um, paying for college with fewer loans? Where does that conversation begin? Well, in our first segment, we talked about the budget. It always starts with the budget. And finding a school that is within the family's budget, but is also the best fit for the student. And for those who hadn't listened to the last, the last segment, when we talked about the best fit, 
it's really about the student being such a good fit for the college and the college being such a good fit for the student that they not only want you there, but they want to give you money in the form of what we call merit aid or gift aid, which is not the same thing as federal student aid. Basically, it's free money to entice you to go to their school. That, of course, is the biggest way to save money because it can be as much as $200,000 in some cases, or it can be as little as $5,000, $10,000, but hey, that helps too. Mm-hmm. So those are the two places that my conversations start. And, you know, Nino and Sarah, you being financial coaches and me having been a, worked as a financial coach as well, I don't focus on that now. But I'm sure you guys start the, the conversation on what are the parents' financial goals with retirement, everything else. And what's the budget looking like? Because I have never sat down with somebody who couldn't find at least a couple thousand dollars, at least a thousand dollars a month in their budget if they really worked on it. And that can go toward college. What do you guys think about that? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I have mixed thoughts on this, honestly. And I think part of my mixed thoughts come from, I think it's, comes down to some priorities and, you know, kind of where people are at financially. But I'll just share a little bit about my own situation and my own story um, because I do have two, you know, young adult kids. And from an early age, you know, when they were young, we always tried to put money into a savings account for them. Now, I will be honest, I wasn't, I am not college educated. I went to college for a couple of semesters. I do not have a college degree. And when, you know, they were younger, was college really what I was thinking about? No. Um, but I did want to put money, you know, in a savings account for them. And as they got into high school and we started talking about, you know, the potential for them going to college, um, you know, we started having the conversations, you know, this is how much we've contributed um, and it will help you pay for college. But we had other conversations as well, right? And And I encouraged them to look at, you know, doing well on their test scores, you know, for merit aid, but also looking at scholarships that were available and just start to apply, you know, and so we had the conversation kind of surrounding all of it, the money that we had saved for them. um, It wasn't in a special special college savings account. I wasn't well versed on those. It was just in a savings account. But you know what, it really helped my kids out. Um, even with doing that. And so that's kind of where our conversations and our budget, you know, started is I told the kids, this is how much we've saved for you. And it can go farther, it can help you out, you know, longer term, if you really look at the merit aid and look at different scholarships available. Yeah, and what I've noticed when I'm sitting down with clients um, is so often I'm catching them or they're they're reaching out to me and and they have a sophomore or a junior in high school and they're now in panic mode about how am I going to pay for college? How am I going to mm-hmm. save? I want to start contributing to a 529 educational fund, but you know, there's no way that between now and then I can save, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 or more. And so I think it starts with this idea of like education around what we're talking about. And that's all these different ways to pay for, for college. Mm -hmm. 
there it I don't know when we just kind of threw up our our arms and decided that we were just going to take it on the chin that college is 20 grand a year and so I need to save up $80,000 for my kids to go to a four-year school like when did we just accept this as normal um and so that's kind of where I start the conversation with clients when even looking at their budget, even if their budget can handle an extra thousand dollars being contributed to college. I'm like, are we also looking at other ways to reduce the cost and other ways to pay for it so that you don't actually have to come out of pocket 20, 40, 60, 80 grand. Um, so that's kind of where the, 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 the conversation starts with. Let's look at all the ways to pay. And that also comes from my background uh, working at the university, being an admissions advisor and then training admissions advisors and, and telling them, look, when you're talking to somebody, help them to understand that there are more ways to pay for school than what they're aware of. And it's not just saving pre uh, preschool with uh, a 529. It's not just federal student loans once you get in. like. There, there are many more ways to pay. Absolutely. And and I definitely agree with what both of you have said. Sarah, my conversation or my husband and my conversation with my stepkids was exactly what you said. And knowing what I know, it was all about, okay, here's what we can tr contribute, but here's what you're contributing in terms of merit aid and in terms of scholarships. And of course, you're going to contribute by getting good grades and getting the good test scores. And Nino, yes, looking at all the different things is where I go with my clients because I'm not really looking at the budget anymore, although that can help as well. But yes, what I'm looking at is educating. And scholarships, merit aid is usually the biggest thing that people don't know about. But and they don't realize that that's the biggest chunk of money you get from a college. But scholarships, I have found, is a really, it's really an unknown today because people don't know what kinds of scholarships, they don't know where to look. And it's overwhelming to a lot of families. And the parents realize it would be a part-time job for them as well if they're helping their students. So like you said, the education really comes into play. Now, Sarah, did you have to do a lot of learning how to how to look for scholarships with your students or were they getting more support from their school, their high school? How did that work for you? Well, <laughs> um, I tried to help my my kids out with, um, you know, doing some research on scholarship opportunities. And and even now, you know. Um, my daughter is a, a senior in college and I am still sending her websites with scholarship opportunities because I just want to throw this out there. I know we're talking, you know, and, and most of our conversation has been more towards like the high school, you know, getting ready to go into college right out of high school. But there are also scholarship opportunities for, um, you know, if you're already enrolled in college, there are a lot of opportunities out there. And so I'm constantly you know, sharing scholarship opportunities. I am more versed in that now than I was even four years ago. Um, but my children, I'm just going to say, I know we all say we love our kids when we're about to say something that we're frustrated <laughs> with 
with them about <laughs> and I will be no different. I love them. However, they did not really listen um, and apply for many scholarships, um, which is frustrating for me. Um, but I want to throw this in really quick too. When we were having the conversation with our kids, we were very upfront and said, we are not going to get student loans. Like us ourselves. We are not co-signing. We're not doing that. So this is your responsibility that we will help you in some of the, the research and, you know, applying, but we're not going to subject ourselves because this is what we've contributed and this is how we're prepared to help you. Um, so that was also part of our conversation. And so I really wanted to put that emphasis on, hey, apply for scholarships. Hey, apply for scholarships. Keep applying keep looking, keep doing it, um, because we are not going to provide any more financial assistance for you. And some people might think that's harsh, and you can go ahead and think that that's harsh. It's okay. Um, but that's, you know, that was all part of our conversation. So um, I learned a lot. They did get a, a, a lot of help from their school counselor as well. Okay. Can I just jump in for just a moment and, and encourage <laughs> our listeners on both sides of this fence. Can we stop making parents feel guilty for not wanting to pay for their children's college or not being able to, right? Cause like sometimes you're in the position to be, you're able to, and you're just kind of, you're setting a very healthy boundary of responsibility. And more often than not, we're made to feel guilty because we can't afford to. Can we just stop doing that to one another? Mm -hmm. Going to college, one, we're back. We're, things have kind of gone full circle. Going to college is optional, folks. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Second, if your child is opting to go to college and you have given them a path towards um, a more affordable option, whether that's um, community college, go, you know, applying for scholarships, if you've kind of guided your child and said, here is a path to affordability, and they decide that they don't want to walk that path, it is then not the, the parent's responsibility to, to bridge that gap. I just, if you can't tell, I get a little frustrated at the idea that we make parents feel badly if for whatever reason they didn't save enough to send their kid off to college. Nobody saved for my college education, and yet I got a college education. It can be done. Mm -hmm. I, yes. I mean, I don't even know how many times to I have said to people, you know, does your student have any skin in this game? I have parents who think that they need to take out a whole bunch of student loans, parent plus loans, that is, and their student doesn't need to pay anything. That's not realistic today, especially if they're taking the money out of their retirement so that they can you know, pay these back. But Sarah, I really applaud you. And I mean this sincerely. When you told your, your kids that they had to come up, figure out how else to pay for for college and they needed to be applying for scholarships. That again is part of the conversation I had with my stepkids. I will tell you, my stepdaughter did not listen. She is one of the ones that I was able to help get $200,000 in merit aid, but she still has a lot more to pay. And she and her mom are planning on taking out loans. We told them, nope, I will help you, you know, look for the scholarships, but we're not doing that. 
because you have a lot of opportunities in front of you. But the reality is that most people, since they have no clue where to look for scholarships, end up doing the wrong things. Now, Sarah, to your point, there are a lot of ways to get scholarships once you're in college. It's not just applying for the outside scholarships. There are a lot of them out there. But for once you're in college, but there are a lot of colleges who do also offer scholarships to sophomores, juniors, and seniors who are their students. And oftentimes, I don't think college students go after that. I don't think they know about it. I've talked to many parents who have no idea that their students should be applying for scholarships at the school or outside scholarships. Going back to this idea of people don't know where to look for scholarships, there are sites that are better than others. There are also sites where you just have to know how to look. Uh, I know you've spent a lot of time on the financial aid side, Nino. Do you, did you notice that people were having a hard time knowing where to look? Yeah, you know, um, to, to be honest, even as I started my career in, in the university setting, I, I didn't realize. Once I kind of got a peek behind the curtain and I realized that the university I was working for had at least five different scholarships going at a time, if not more. I was like, wow, okay, there, there are so many opportunities. Now, funds are kind of limited, so it's it's on kind of a first come, first serve. Sometimes it, it you know, you have to, as long as you meet all the eligibility requirements, um, you get, you, you get these scholarships. So not only did the university offer them, but then the university I worked for, once upon a time, its name was Kaplan. It's been sold off since then. But some people know that name Kaplan because of test prepping and, and getting people prepared for college entrance exams and that sort of thing. I was also uh, interested or just uh, I found it interesting and I was surprised to learn that each and every year, Kaplan published a book called Scholarships and then the year. And the subtitle was Billions of Dollars in Free Money for College. And it talks about how there are more than 3,000 different undergraduate scholarships that pay out at least $1,000, if not more. It, and it talked about, it, it gave specific places to go in either websites or wh wherever. It, it outlined what the scholarship was for, how somebody might earn that scholarship, and then the application process. So you got a sense of, wait, do I even kind of meet this criteria? I do. Let me then apply for it. And so it just so many different resources that I was unaware of. And once I became aware, I couldn't help but try to tell everybody like, hey, and, and they still, and by they, I don't necessarily mean Kaplan, but these books, these yearly scholarship books are still mm -hmm. published every single year. And then to your point, Kelly, there are some websites that do the same thing where they list all the scholarships, they give you an outline of what it is and who should apply and then give you links to apply for them. And I just want to end that by saying it then should for whether you're in college already and you're applying for the scholarships because you're in college or even you're a high school student, it should become like a part-time job yes. where you're putting maybe like 10 or as many as 20 hours a week into applying for them because 
if they're going to pay out tens of thousands of dollars, it's going to take a little effort on your part to get them. A hundred percent. And I have told students that I've told families that the reality is that a student can, in theory, if they really are diligent about this and looking for for scholarships in the right places, they can make far more in scholarships than they can by getting a part-time job in high school because you can only work so many hours. Typically, the jobs that high school students can get only pay so much money. So you can definitely, if you're very diligent about it, like the part-time job that you mentioned, uh, you can get a fair amount. The thing that I find that frustrates people is that they will go on these sites and they'll start applying for, for scholarships or they'll start looking into scholarships that sound like they would be good. And then right before you get down to the part where you're going to apply, it explains more detail on who is eligible and they get frustrated. It is not something where you're just going to call up five scholarships and you're going to be able to apply for all of them. You have, it does take time. You have to set aside the time for researching the scholarships and then set aside the time for applying. The other thing that I find is that students shy away from the ones that require an essay thinking that, oh, well, these no essay scholarships or these sweepstake scholarships are the way to go. And I would tell people they absolutely are not. They literally are that. They're sweepstakes. You can spend a lot of time applying for scholarships where all they do is put your name in a hat and they draw one of those, usually quarterly. Now, when you think about the fact that a lot of people apply for this, it's a lottery, basically. If you've got 50,000 names in that hat and they pull a name, you're very, very fortunate if you do get it. And yes, they really are legitimate scholarships, but you don't have much of a chance. You're really better off going to the more targeted scholarships. If you have to write an essay for that scholarship, half your comp your competition practically is already eliminated. The more difficult the, the essay is, the more things that you have to have to apply for that scholarship, be it letters of recommendation, be it uh, some financial information, whatever, the fewer people are going to apply and the better chance you actually have of getting it. Sarah, has your, have your students run into that at all? Your, your daughter in applying? Um, you know, truthfully, she hasn't really applied to a whole lot. Um, and so, um, she, and you know, here I'm going to find myself making excuses for her too. <laughs> uh, she does work two, two jobs and goes to school full time. And, okay. Um, you know, it's, is it an excuse? It is. Could she be applying, you know, and pick out a couple of scholarships a week and apply for? Yes. Are there some tips, you know, and tricks to applying for multiple, you know, where you can kind of tweak a, tweak an essay a little bit, right? Um, could she be doing that? She absolutely could. Um, is she? No, she's not. <laughs> So, um, but you know, and, and I, I've told her too, it, it really is kind of like this numbers 
you know, kind of this numbers game and, and, and she decides what her time is worth, you know, and, and we've talked about what student loans mm-hmm. look like, you know, and, and, um, you know, I'm just encouraging her to make the decision that's right for her. Do I, do I want her to make a different decision and different choices? Yes. Um, but it's really for her, um, you know, her choice right now. And, and she knows kind of what she's getting herself into. So, um, I wish it were different, but it's not. And I want to, uh, I want to talk because I'm just, I'm such a numbers nerd, right? And so Kelly, a moment ago, you said that sometimes you can kind of earn more through scholarships than you would a part-time job. And Sarah, as you're describing your daughter working two part-time jobs, I think about how so many college students who are trying to contribute to their own, uh, college experience financially, you know, take on jobs so, or work study or whatever in, in order to help contribute. But a moment ago, we said, if you put part-time hours into this, like 10, 20 hours a week, and let's go on the high end, let's go 20 hours, and you get even a $1,000 scholarship, your student just made $50 an hour. Where else is a college student making $50 an hour? So like I said, I'm a numbers nerd. I just started, you know, calculating those numbers and I wanted to kind of point that out, right? Just, and so it, it only goes up from there. You know, if you get a $5,000 scholarship, if you get a $10,000 scholarship and you put 20 hours of work into that one scholarship, but then you got it. I mean, the return on those hours are far superior than if they worked 10, 10 hours at a job or said a different way, a better way is how long, how many hours of part-time work would they have to work to make 10 grand? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a very good point, you know, because you actually now have shown parents and families exactly what the return on investment is. The other thing is that in order to make that that part-time job, if you are working on this, say four hour, let's say four weeks a month, or let's put in the 4.2, because that's how much it really is when you, when you boil down to what employment is, you usually have 4.2 weeks a month. You really need to be applying for eight to 10 scholarships a month, because it is a numbers game, not just on the mm-hmm. amount of money you can make, but how many scholarships it takes to do well in the scholarship game and actually get some money. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, when we were talking before uh, we we started recording, you can get $500 scholarships and build up from there. Most people don't start out with a $20,000 scholarship, nor should they start applying for the $20,000 scholarship. Those are usually students who really have honed their craft of writing the scholarship essays. They usually have chosen a scholarship that is really targeted to them. Much like the Best Fit College, we also have Best Fit scholarships, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But you really need to get out there and apply for as many that you can that make sense. So, you know, I, I don't know, Nino, how, how do you feel about that? Oh yeah. It, like you said, it is a numbers game, right? Um, applying for scholarships, a lot like applying for a job, right? You got to kind of get your quote resume or your essay or your application 
kind of looked at and and give them a reason to want to want to select you. But I like the idea of starting off, you know, locally. Here's another like aha moment that I had locally. The, the electric company has a $500 scholarship for first year students. Now I don't remember what the qualifications were, but to your point that like the, the barrier of entry was, is probably pretty low and the pool of people that you're up against is probably not as big as say like a national scholarship. And so go local and, and get the feel for what is this process and, you know, get a $500 scholarship here and a $500 scholarship there. And all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to see those numbers add up and you're building up the skill uh, needed to apply for the bigger ones. Um, and then you'll have a better sense of, OK, how do I actually win scholarships? So, well, and some of them are actually $100 scholarships through like the Rotary Club, you, your first level of scholarship through Rotary Kiwanis, all of those the service clubs are usually a hundred dollars. Okay. hundred dollars put towards your books, then another 200, $300, $500 there. You've paid for your books for a year. Even if that's all you get, it serves a purpose. But like, like you said, you start at the local level, then you go to the county level, then the state level, then the regional level. And there are scholarships at all of these levels and a lot of people don't even know that there are regional scholarships. And then you start on some of the bigger scholarships. Um, Sarah, do you know what type of scholarships your your daughter has applied for? The ones that she has applied for. Yeah, you know, um, most of them were <clears throat> some local ones through our, you know, our, our little town. Um, and then through the college um, directly. Okay. Okay. Well, the other thing that people don't realize or don't think about, they forget about is the fact that a lot of companies now, a lot of employers are realizing that a good employee benefit is paying for college. There are opportunities as a parent to have your student apply for a scholarship through your company. Yes, only one person usually gets the scholarship, but again, it's part of the process. And if you get the scholarship, yay. Uh, the other side of it is they are starting now to hire young, you know, young people or even adults that are going back to school. And you bring them post semester, after the semester, you bring them your report card to show them what classes you have completed successfully with usually it's a C or higher and they will give you a certain percentage of money or a certain amount per per class in reimbursement. So I know of students through a former employer of mine that were making $4,000 a semester. That goes a long way too. So that's another place to to be looking for the scholarships. Nino, it looked like you were about ready to say something. I was just nodding my head in agreement. Um, I remember oh, okay. even before um, I worked for the university, I had gone back to school. I was uh, working for a financial uh, organization and they had $8,000 of tuition reimbursement a year. And so that was one of the ways that I started paying for school. Um, 
when I first got back in. And uh, it's one of those things that as I work with younger um, like or, or families that have younger um, young adults who are kind of transitioning into college or maybe they're, they're kind of in college and they're trying to get out into the job market while still in school. And it's like, this is one of those employee benefits you should be looking for mm-hmm. because it's going to help. And what I really love is there's even a shift in the culture now where while there was either tuition reimbursement while working for the company and you're taking classes. And so maybe you paid for them and they reimburse you. Now there are organizations that are offering as an employee benefit, like the ability to pay down student debt. That's a little bit different because that's all after the fact. And we're kind of, we're, we're attempting to be proactive instead of reactive here, but you know, yes, employers are now offering some great benefits to help pay for college. Yeah. And, you know, when I talk about targeted uh, scholarships, we're talking, sit down and think about the activities that your student participates in. Sit down and think about the organizations you belong to. A lot of uh, women in professional, women professionals organizations or women in business organizations have scholarships. A lot of Organizations like Kiwanis Rotary also have a scholarship for their members and their members' families. I had a student who happened to be Italian and she happened to be Catholic. We found a scholarship for Italian Catholics. Another student of mine last year was he went to a private Christian school, high school. And he was going to be going to a private Christian college. There is a scholarship for that. And his college actually automatically gave him that scholarship. So they, they were able to get a hold of that information and gave him that scholarship. He didn't have to apply for it. A lot of colleges then also have a separate scholarship that you have to compete for. You have to apply for it and write an essay for it. But if you're going into an honors program, if your student is able to get into an honors program in college, by all means, if they can get good grades in that, you think, have them go into it and apply for the scholarships. Usually you get additional merit money for being in the honors program as well. So, of course, it has to be the right thing for your student. But there are other ways to think about things. If your student is very involved in community service, there are a lot of scholarships from community service organizations or that focus on community service and they want to see what your student has done in the area of community service. There are law firms that love to sponsor scholarships. Yes, they usually have a particular target area of law, but I'm thinking specifically of one uh, a year ago that a student of mine applied for. It was about the First Amendment and which aspect of the First Amendment, other than freedom of speech, which everybody thinks of, uh, which aspect of the First Amendment do you think you has been most instrumental in your daily life? And this is for high school students. Really makes them think, really makes them research. And it's, I think it's also an educational opportunity for students in a lot of cases. Nino, do you remember any of those kinds of 
scholarships through your your organization through Kaplan mm-hmm. or no, not not necessarily to to that um, level of detail. But I want to comment on your your assertion that it's like a learning experience, like. Right, college. The entire college experience is supposed to be that. It's a, supposed to be an experience, growth, and and branching out. And so, I just, I guess, I just want to r- encourage and, and reiterate the importance of kind of almost demanding. Parents should demand that their children do this. It is good exposure, even if they get zero scholarships. The idea of applying and, and putting themselves out there and thinking through, you know, something like an essay about the First Amendment in a different way. Like, what an incredible experience, um, if nothing else but for the actual experience in and of itself. And so, um, yeah, I think, uh, it's just incredibly important to set that expectation early that you will apply for scholarships. Our our participation in your in your uh, college funding is contingent on you applying for uh, for scholarships. I don't know. I just that's how important I think it is. And and I have a buddy of mine who is putting away uh, feverishly for, for his, uh, his daughter. And, and I'm like, how much, like how many scholarships are you going to make her apply for? And what are you doing over here? Like, what are you doing to make sure that you don't just have to come out of pocket for it? Cause I, I just, I don't know. I think that that's unnecessary. I can't agree with you more. That is part of, you know, not everybody decides to work with me on, on everything that I offer, but that is one aspect of it. It's also part of my entire program where I just assume that if they want to get the most money toward college, that they're going to want their student to be applying for scholarships. But the other side of it is I noticed that a lot of families don't realize they need scholarships until they see their financial packages. And by that, I mean, most of us think of it as the financial aid package that they get from from schools. Actually, that's what a lot of the colleges call it. I call it financial packages because it's not just aid. It's the merit money. It's scholarships from the college. It's work study. As you mentioned, Nino, uh, I think that work study is fabulous. It is a way, if your student qualifies for work study, it is a way to you know, get an extra 1800 to $2,500 a semester or at some schools that's a year, but that's still money that the school and the government, actually it's a federal program, is willing to give you on top of anything else just for working five, eight, ten hours a week. And as a college student, that's probably not too many hours Uh, They usually try to set it up so that it's reasonable. But looking at these financial packages is difficult because different schools make them look different. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about this when you were getting financial packages from different schools or, you know, how some of the, the students you were working with 
we're looking at their financial packages, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to understand. You usually have to have somebody walk you through it. Yeah, it really is not the easiest thing to understand because there's there's terms that are are industry specific. So anytime there's an industry specific term, I call it jargon. Right. It, there's a bunch of internal jargon that they use. Hey, the cost of attendance and the this and the that. And, and since these terms are not common everyday use terms for students, they don't necessarily understand, well, what are we actually talking about? Because I think something that's a little bit more common is something like tuition, right? If you say, right. here is the cost of tuition, it's like, oh, okay. But they don't use cost of tuition. They use cost of attendance. And it's like, well, what does that actually mean? And it's projected. It's not. It it's not finite. It it's really convoluted. And it's it's like, well, and we can only kind of map out the first semester or two, and then it's going to change. So these other semesters and these other years are a complete guess. But we know that they're wrong. What? Why are you even presenting me this information if it's not solidified and accurate? And so I, I used to be very frustrated with the financial packaging piece of it because it's overly convoluted, I think almost by design, so that you just are like, okay, I'm going to take whatever you tell me I need to do, which is usually like, you can't actually afford any of this. Let's apply for student loans. I think that's very true. And I find that to be the case. Uh, I have talked with families who have said, you know, we just paid whatever they told us to pay because we wanted our student to go there. Student had worked hard to get into. And specifically, I'm thinking of a mom whose student got into UC Berkeley. Now, he's doing very well there and she's happy about that. But she said, you know, we just pay whatever they tell us to pay because we don't really understand the package anyway. And we don't know how the financial aid process works. And I think that's true of a lot of families. But the other side of it is, it is confusing, I think, by design. What I have found is that colleges will say, oh, well, we present our financial package this way. Other colleges present it this way. And ours is really better because ours gives you a fuller, a full picture of what you're going to pay. Well, actually, they both do. They just put it in different terms and they arrange the sheet of paper differently. Uh, to your point, Nino, about cost of attendance versus uh, tuition, I find that a lot of people don't know that they have a lot of fees to pay in addition to tuition. Some schools are starting to break that out as tuition and fees. And then cost of admission or cost of attendance, by the way, just so that people know what that is, it's tuition, it's fees, it's the incidentals like books, uh, other things that you have to pay for yourself. Usually the financial package does not cover books, which is something else that's confusing because they include it on the financial package, but it also includes if you're living on campus, it includes room and board is the cost of attendance. And so usually, usually it's double or close to double what the actual tuition is. So that's something that families really need to know about. Um, 
And think about the sticker shock that comes with that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're absolutely right. So they're going to show you, they being the university is going to show you the cost of attendance, and it's going to include something like living on campus, but then maybe your student isn't living on campus. And so that's not really the number. And it it does, it gets a little bit uh, convoluted and ridiculous. Sarah, any thoughts? Because you've got your daughter in college in Arizona. Yeah, um, we definitely got sticker shock when they told us the cost of attendance, which frankly was, um, and I, I don't mind sharing, it was about 53000 Um And they, it was mandatory that you are on campus for your first uh, two years, which... I could go into a whole episode of college things that I I really want to hammer out and just I'm so frustrated with colleges <laughs> on so many levels but it was mandatory that she stay on campus um for 2 years the the fees again you know I I I have actually fought the college on some of their fees um I did win on one I have not won on the others but I did uh I did fight them on some of the fees. Um it is hard and I'll just share that I think it just it, it can be very overwhelming for people, right? And and very and I think that that overwhelm then leads people to making decisions that they regret making, right? Um I've seen it a lot. We were close to to doing that ourselves, you know, thinking, well how how is my kid going to pay for this? You know, how is my kid going to pay $53,000 a year, right? Like, how is that going to happen when I think a lot of families are barely making that, you know, on two income households, right? And so the thought of Mm -hmm. sending your kid to a college, that that's what it's going to cost. So I think then that's where the, the student loan conversation comes in. And, and again, I don't want to derail the conversation, but I want people to be aware that, that, it can be overwhelming. Let it be overwhelming for a second, but then just take a step back and say, okay, now what are my choices here? Your your only choice is not mm-hmm. student loans. You have some other choices. And I'm just going to throw out there, I don't like student loans, um, but it is not the end all be all. If you, if you have them, guess what? Then you make a plan to pay them off. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, um, um, you know, make student loans out to be these, this horrible beast, because, you know, the truth is, is it's not. Um, but I, I, I don't want people to feel that overwhelmed. So then they go and make a, a split second decision, right? Thinking, oh, my only option, my kid can't pay for this. So we have to do it. There are choices to so just let it sink in for a second, take a step back. You don't have to make a decision right away, right? Like, you you have some time to really go over yeah. it. Ask other people for help to read, you know, these, um, you, you know, read out your packages. You know, you don't have to, they're not giving you 10 seconds to say yes, accept or no, right? You have time. So take that time and do a little bit more research on it. You hit on a very important point, Sarah, and that is you don't have to say yes right away. Here's the challenge that a lot of parents have. They think that if their student gets accepted to a college or university, that if they wait until May 1st, which is the deadline for uh, for committing to a college, that their student could lose their spot. They will not 
lose their spot if they've been accepted and they continue to maintain their GPA. Though usually the two reasons that students can lose their spot is either they don't maintain the GPA and the admission standards to get in and stay in the college, or they do something unethical and the college says, gee, you know, we just really don't think that you're going to be a good fit on our campus. We're rescinding our offer. That doesn't happen all that much, all that often. If your student is accepted into colleges, take the time, look at the other colleges. Some colleges will send their, especially if your student gets accepted early, some colleges will send the first part of the package right away. And that's usually the merit money. Some colleges will actually give you your full package or at least the projected package in January. Some don't send it until March. I actually heard that U of I has a habit now of waiting until just after May 1st to send the package, assuming by U of I, I mean University of Illinois, not University of Iowa or University of Indiana. So U of University of Illinois, I've heard from two families now. They didn't get their package until after May 1st. They committed to University of Illinois, assuming they were going to get money that they didn't get. So take the time. Look at those packages. I actually encourage people to put everything in a spreadsheet or with one family, I actually created a PowerPoint presentation where I had one school on one side, the other school on the other side, and we looked at everything going down the line and said, okay, these are financially the advantages here or the dis disadvantage here. And now let's go back and look at what you liked about this school, what you didn't care for about this school, and that helps make that decision. But the other thing, and I don't know if you dealt with this, Nino, is appealing financial, appealing that financial package. I have not. And I know that uh, in our preparation, you had talked about this concept, but no, this is a new concept to me. Appealing your financial package? What? Yeah. Well, Sarah did a little bit of it in fighting the school on a few of the fees. Usually the number one fee that you can say, I don't want to pay is the health insurance. Was that what you asked them to drop off, Sarah? Oh, you know what? There were several. <laughs> Honestly, there were several. Um, Which, And I will preface this by saying, too, that, that when I was in the height of this was when there was a lot of shutdowns and things weren't even accessible to the students. And I didn't feel like we needed to be paying for things that were not even accessible that literally couldn't even be used. And I was like, I am not paying that. My daughter is not paying that. If you have this closed and we can't even use it, this is not a fee that we are going to be paying. So, um, I, so I will say that that's, that's where some of my, my, um, experience has been in. Okay. The other thing, and this is the big part that most people do not know, is that you can go back to the college or university and say, okay, you've offered us this, this much. We appreciate that. We really want, I really want to go to this school that comes from the student. You're my top choice or you're one of my top choices, but 
I'm not able to make it happen given what you have given me. There are five reasons that you can appeal your financial aid. The first one is if there was a mistake on the FAFSA. And quite honestly, a lot of people make mistakes. They often don't want somebody to review them because they don't want somebody to see their numbers. But the reality is uh, when somebody reviews your FAFSA, someone like myself or a financial aid expert uh, consultant reviews your FAFSA, FAFSA, a lot of times we find mistakes. And uh, so, you know, that's one area. So if that needs to be amended, you go back to the school and almost immediately they have to take another look at your FAFSA. 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 I don't know why I can't pronounce that because <laughs> it's a pet peeve of mine when people call it a FAFSA. It's financial a free application for federal student aid. So the F comes first. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, the financial aid person who can't pronounce FAFSA. 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 Yes. So anyway, um, you know, I had a, I had a family last year who went back and was able to turn in some additional paperwork and show them something that was not considered in that paperwork, in that financial aid application. And they got consider not considerably more, but they got quite a bit more. And then the other side of it is, have you had a change in your finances. This was a really big thing for people in COVID. Like you said, Sarah, there were things that happened during COVID in addition to the colleges being shut down or some of the services being shut down. People lost jobs or they took significant pay cuts and could no longer pay what they were or what they were expected. Let's put it that way. And again, that changed the financial aid paperwork and that had to be redone. Uh, now, Nino, did you find that to be something that people were doing and maybe you just didn't think of it as an appeal? Um, yeah, I definitely didn't think of it as an appeal, but uh, it often happened, especially so I started working for the university in 2007. So 2008, the market crashes, right? The, the housing market crashes and and people are losing their jobs left and right. and um, so in 2008, 2009, 2010, you'd hear so often that because the FAFSA is based off of last year's taxes, it's like, well, I had a great paying job last year. I currently do not have that job. Yeah. So it does like that doesn't help me. And so, no, I didn't see it as an appeal, but that process of amending um, financial information was uh, was pretty uh, standard practice uh, mm -hmm. for a couple of years there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the other reasons, and this is happening more and more as well, do you have another family member living with you for whom you contribute at least 50% of the, of their, uh, I guess, their care? For example, if you recently have had grandma or grandpa move in or an uncle who is elderly and the family is helping that person out, that is definitely something else that is a reason for appeal. Your, your family size has changed. Your uh, whole situation in terms of your 
expendable income has changed. So that definitely changes what you're able to pay for college. And by the way, the same is true if a family is expecting a baby. If you're expecting a baby when you fill out the FAFSA, FAFSA, you should go ahead, as many people say, go ahead and put that baby down because, well, this assumes you're more than six months into the pregnancy. But go ahead and put that baby down because during that school year, you are going to have that child as another member of the family and as a dependent. So again, that impacts the amount that you are going to be able to contribute. So, um, Sarah, you kind of laughed when I said, assuming you're six months into the pregnancy and, um, there's definitely something to consider there. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Well, just to be fair, there was a, a little bit of a delay. Um, and, and I just chuckled, um, just with the language that was used. Um, you want to include them, right? You want to include the, the pregnancy as a dependent on, um, I, I, um, I'm just keeping some notes here as well, um, because I want to make sure that we've got, you know, that because you had mentioned the five reasons to appeal. So I'm just keeping notes um, because I think it's important, right, that people know this information and and our our living situations do change. Right. And this is not something a pregnancy. A, a lot of times it's not something that people are thinking about. Um, you know, when they're filling out FAFSA now, how does that impact yeah. in six months, right? How does your your financial situation, could it be impacted in, you know, in, in, in the future? So, yeah. And the other side of it there is uh, anything really that is going to change what you are able to pay that is not considered on the FAFSA, FAFSA, FAFSA. Uh, is something that you definitely want to go back to the college and say, hey, this, and again, if it's not considered, say this was not considered or go back and say, hey, there's, there's a little bit of a financial uh, hardship here. For example, I had a family that had a lien against their house that they were trying to pay off. And another family who's the mom had $200,000 in student loans, and she's now trying to take out student loans for her own student, and it's going to be very difficult for her to pay all of this off. And we did go back to two different colleges and appeal. The private school said, okay, sure, we'll do something. The public school said, you know, we don't really have enough money. We could give you another thousand dollars, but that's it because they don't have as much money to give to students at the private, at the public school. But it's definitely something to consider. Nina, was that something that people were bringing to you as well? Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, but as I said, what I think is important to highlight here is that changing circumstances means that like you should be communicating those. Right. And mm -hmm. so I don't think we were getting a lot of that because I don't think people knew that, Hey, like I should be proactive in communicating these things. I think what we've done is we've done a really good job too, of highlighting just how, how in depth 
and um, how complex paying for school can really be, right? And that it's not as cut and dry or straightforward as it may seem like, oh, I just apply for a school and then the school says I'm accepted and then I get a bill in the mail or, and, and I pay it. No, it's, there needs to be some forethought, some planning, some, um, some intentionality, right? That's the word I really want to intentionality on as we've covered over the kind of the series, the idea of picking the right school for my student, for the right reasons, that they're a right fit. By doing so, you know, you're focusing in on some merit aid. And because my students are right fit for this school and the school's a right fit for my student, I can reduce the cost of um, college. Then when it's time to actually pay for it, I should also be looking at scholarships and doing these things. And then lo and behold, if I absolutely must apply for federal student aid that I better get that application right. And I better be mm -hmm. communicating any updates and any changes so that in the event of, because of course the federal government too is also looking at gift aid. So Pell grants and they're looking mm -hmm. at loans. And so need changes from year to year in one year, you might not have need in the very next year you might be in lots of need. And so uh, having that application right, I think, what, again, we've illustrated that this is complex. There's a lot to it and that it's going to take some planning and some intentionality. And so I kind of want to call our listeners to action. If you have been listening to this episode and you think to yourself, my goodness, there is a lot to this and I need help. Well, I want you to know that help is right around the corner. And so Kelly, how can people reach out to you and sit down with you to have you help them kind of analyze their situation and help them save the $80,000 on college? Well, I'm more than happy to, to have a conversation with anyone. I do offer a complimentary phone call and just sort of talk through this with them and say, okay, here's where you are. Here's where you need to be, or here's what you might want to consider doing. I can be reached at uh, my phone number. Uh, I don't know if you want me to we'll, give that. We'll provide all the details okay. in the uh, description below, okay. but uh, it, and there's a link that people can schedule time with you too. Absolutely. I have a Calendly link. I also give free workshops to help people understand at least the basics of this, because there's more than what we talked about. Uh, there, mm -hmm. It's just too detailed to go into everything, but I do give workshops on all of this and they're mm -hmm. often free. And we'll make sure that we link all of those resources in the description of the podcast. So for anybody who is thinking, wow, I need to get some one-on-one -on -one time with Kelly or with Sarah or myself, mm -hmm. you can do that by going to the links below. Kelly, I want to thank you again for taking the time to uh, kind of do this three-part series with us. There was a lot of information to go over um, and just really kind of illuminate the mind uh, of parents to, to realize, wow, you know what? There are a lot of options here, a lot of things that I can explore, and maybe we've even encouraged them a little bit to go a little harder on their students, enforcing them to kind of participate in this process um, in order to reduce the uh, the enormous burden of costs that college can be. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, both of you. 
All right. Well, we'll continue our conversation with uh, all things financial literacy next time. Thank you for listening to the New Money Habits podcast brought to you by New Money Habits and Keeping Up with the Joneses Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our hosts by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes. Join our growing group of like-minded people on Facebook and follow us on your favorite platform. Music provided by Summer School.